0: Um, so, uh, this evening um, I'd like to share some thoughts about thought, or thoughts or thinking, that activity of the mind. And um, yeah, um, as we contemplate our experience and our practice. Uh, We probably notice this quite a lot, quite a lot of the time. And that's very much part of our life. And, you know, so this is just the intention is to support all of us in this kind of exploration of uh, taking care of this part of our experience. And... um, the ongoing cultivation of a wise relationship to thought and um, just the part it can play in our life uh, for good or for ill and certainly I think you know, probably all of us at times it's it's very uh, um, very much, yeah, part of the way that we suffer and understand the part that plays and also the way that that shapes our world and our sense of ourselves and others and so on. So just to highlight that and um, I know, I don't know about you, but for as part of my practice, and I want to talk a bit about this later. I sort of sometimes very specifically look for thought, or like okay, for this time, for this part of the sit, or for this particular sit, I'm gonna. Or for this walking, I'm just gonna. And I found that a very helpful sort of one of one of the ways. I want to go through some different practices recommended by the Buddha and may maybe just to to sort of highlight this aspect of our experience and um, the the great benefits from gaining clarity yeah and and awareness uh, around this this aspect of of experience so perhaps the very the very basic practice is, like I was just describing, you know it's very simple, just that sense of yeah being present, establishing a sense of anchor, you know steadiness, a body, um, seeing, hearing, and then just okay, having establishing the interest or the intention to just be particularly primed to noticing noticing thoughts so one of my teachers Stephen Batchelor who would, I think he's this image is like crouching by a hole in the ground where we know an animal lives and we just sit there and keep watch and wait because we want to see the animal when it pops out so so Noticing thoughts kind of and and, and interestingly, I't if you're noticing that right now as I'm saying this, like sometimes I get myself in that position, you know, make that intention, and then sort of like hello <laughs> are you there? <laughs> so I also find that very interesting that somehow when we look directly or when we really we're very, you know it, it seems to not like that it's um, <laughs> it hides it's like, no, 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 I want to come out when you're not really looking when you're looking over there and then I'll like come out and go nya, 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 <laughs> and then you like you're and you do looking, it's gone back in its hole it's like, damn so I find that very very in, interesting. Um, something about thought there, kind of how how it operates. So, so just maybe a few thoughts about uh, why why is this important? Why why is it important to be aware of thought? So, a couple of teachings from the Buddha, from the, the Dhammapada. We are what we think. All that we are arises with our thoughts. With our thoughts, we make our world. Hmm. Something to consider, investigate, perhaps reflect. And our experience of you know particularly is we are I am, and the world that is constructed. That these thoughts are, yeah, part of the arising of the world that the Buddha invites us to contemplate. So considering, noticing, learning how how thought and what kind of thoughts are shaping our world world of the moment. Mm. And then the other quote, which is also from uh, Dhammapada, the thought manifests as the word, the word manifests as the deed, the deed develops into habit, and habit hardens into character. So watch the thought and its ways with care and let it spring from love born out of concern for all beings. That one I'm going to put on the board for you. Mm, So, you know, that sense of how much good can come from thought how much how much love can be expressed and how much damage ill will and harm comes from thought and then comes through in our speech and actions so it's a kind of I don't know. If it feels like that f- for you. That's when I read that. I have this sort of there's a sort of ethical. Um, uh, what's the word? You know. Yeah. Oh, sorry. I can't think of the word. Um, imperative. So being aware of thoughts is, if we want to be non-harming. We need to really learn. We really need to. Be discerning with our thoughts that that in terms of the wish not to bring suffering on ourselves or others and and this is I think kind of I find that very like ooh, sobering encouraging like yes and that sense of how powerful that is in the world you know pre- wreaks terrible havoc or brings incredible beauty and love into the world. So I think sometimes, you know, our own thoughts perhaps can feel so mundane, boring, you know, <laughs> repetitive, you know petty. <laughs> um, but perhaps also we experience we kind of we kind of know the power of thought as well to um, to bring healing, to bring support, to bring um, strength, and you know, to bring to bring forth the good. Mm. So, um, yeah. So, I wanted to share part of. Uh, some of you may well know this group of three suttas in the Majjhima Nikaya, uh, 18, 19, and 20, which is a group of, of, of suttas which two of them really emphasize a uh, relationship with thought, working, practicing with thought, but it also comes into the, the first one. So if you want to check these out later, you can look at them 18, 19, 20 in the Majjhima. Middle length sayings, so I wanted to share this because it kind of follows on from this sort of wholesome, unwholesome, skillful, unskillful, this kind of discernment, and I was because I was <laughs> give these talks, I always get to practice some of these things, and I was doing this today it was really it's really interesting it's a practice I do sporadically. And it's from the time before the Buddha, before the Enlightenment. So I'll just read you little bits of it. I hope it will make sense, and then if you want to see the whole of it, you can, you can look later. So it's hit the Buddha say, Suppo- Suppose I divide my thoughts into two classes, and I set on one side thoughts of sensual desire. Ill will and cruelty, and on the other side, thoughts of renunciation, uh, metta, like a goodwill, and thoughts of compassion. So that was the Buddha's creativity, a way of practicing before, the, before he was fully awakened. So the rest of the sitter kind of explores that practice. Really. And put more simply, I sometimes I think of it as just so thoughts come up, and I think, is that helpful, wholesome, skillful, tight? You know, is that helpful right now? Uh, no. Uh, oh yeah, maybe that's helpful. And then I've actually got this middle category, which I don't know. It's like it doesn't seem to be any of those. <laughs> so I've created my third category because some don't seem to fit in either. But I think what's i've I've really noticed with this that it it highlights um, yeah the what you call it the ethical quality or yeah, the wholesome or unwholesome, the sense of wow, so so much of 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 at least what I notice in my own mind like it does carry, sadly traces of greed, hatred, and delusion, you know. I mean, not all the time, and all of, but somehow it feels. So the Buddha goes on to say that simply noticing this, simply noticing that a thought is aversive or has ill will in it, actually brings about the fading of that thought. And and this sense of seeing, okay, this is there is affliction in this. This is this is unpleasant, and this is this is not helpful actually just that recognition that that there's some sense of that kind of helping naturally kind of letting go you know like uh, holding a hot coal you just like just drop it because you feel the pain of that something like that Um, okay so then again I'm not going to read all of this um, so this is where the the quote because whatever a bhikkhu frequently thinks and ponders upon, that will become the inclination of their mind. Yeah, and this is where this quote comes from. And that then he goes on to talk about if you frequently yeah if you frequently think thoughts of ill will, you know for example just self criticism, right? So Endemic for so many of us, that becomes a pattern, a groove in the mind. Right, so more thoughts follow. As well, you know, then if you if you think thoughts of metta, that becomes a groove in the mind. Thoughts of kindness. I mean, in a way, it's a very simple principle. And so he goes on and. As I abided thus diligent, ardent and resolute, thought of renunciation arose in me and I understood the th- the thought, this thought of renunciation has arisen in me. That this does not lead to my own affliction or to others' affliction or to the affliction of both. It aids wisdom, does not cause difficulties and leads to nibbana. So he's picking out these three uh, intentions, aren't they? Actually, they're, they're the, the second part of the Eightfold Path the, the path, the thoughts of renunciation, of non cruelty or compassion and non ill will or loving kindness or goodwill. And and then just the last bit I'll, I'll, I'll share is, So he says, if I think and ponder upon this thought, this thought of renunciation, even for a night, even for a day, even for a night and day, I see nothing to fear from it. But with excessive thinking and pondering, I might tire my body, and when the body is tired, the mind becomes disturbed. And when the mind is disturbed, it is far from concentration. So, you know, probably, like, but perhaps for all of us at times, or perhaps for some of us more than others, there's this, isn't there kind of an addiction to thinking? I mean, really, it's it almost feels like If I'm not thinking, then I'm not really alive, or I'm not really, you know, I don't know, somehow I ought to be thinking. And it's so, so strong, sort of strongly encouraged, I guess, in so many ways. And this sense of even even thinking, you know, positive, wholesome, like Dharma, I sometimes call it Dharma, blah, blah, you know, where we give ourselves permission to endlessly spool on and on about some Dharma thing, and it's okay because it's Dharma, so it must be alright. It's probably better than some of the rest of it, but um, again, you know, this sense of. And isn't that excessive thinking and pondering tires the body? I learned recently that some phenomenal amount of energy, the brain's energy, goes into thinking. I can never remember detail, that's getting worse and worse, but anyway, it's a lot. Um, so this sense of, and I'm very intrigued by this, the way that we think, thinking will solve problems, you know, and perhaps it can and it does in some, you know, like the hammer and nail type situation, you know, or, um... Reading directions for a gadget and then really, really kind of taking that in, and then you know, <laughs> following it through. And like, yeah, when you do that, it does that. So, that's really, you know, this kind of operational, <coughs> operational kind of like really, really helpful. But how much of our thinking is helpful? No, not not that much of it, possibly. And how I feel like a lot of our practice is to kind of strengthen this sense of living life from the body, from the earth, from the heart. And that somehow that is going to give us a much better chance of discerning the skillful from the unskillful. And thinking and speaking and acting in in helpful ways. So, yeah, I guess that's another sort of sense of how um, some degree of steadiness in the mind really, really uh, can be, um, you know, really the basis for. Any of these sort of exercises that I'm suggesting, or the Buddha suggesting, because have you you know when the mind is really quiet, maybe it sometimes on retreat it gets a bit quiet, maybe some of the time. And an exercise I remember doing a long time ago in retreat, which was to to drop a thought in that under normal circumstances would have been very upsetting. You know, those topics, things, people, um, issues, events, like really. And so I actually took a thought that would typically be, you know, if I thought that I would be like, you know, agitated and upset in a, like, like that. And it stayed in my mind because I was, I think I was, I was at Gaia House in England and I think I was lying on the grass outside and so I was uh, feeling pretty settled. Mind was pretty quiet, pretty still. So I just thought, "Oh, let's try this." So intentionally thinking a thought, and it it just it just sort of was there, and then and then it went, and there was no ripple. Not a ripple. I was astounded, <laughs> and that I think. That, that, that. So, so I guess that's a whole other talk really of, 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 of what the qualities in the mind, you know, like the spiritual faculties that Mark's talking about, what it is that strengthens the mind to the point where thinking is just another phenomenon happening and rising and passing mm, without generating conflict or struggle. Um yeah. So um another thing I wanted to 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 touch on is the skillful uses of thought in meditation. And I think that this is uh one of the ways that we can train ourselves to kind of uh, intentionally make use of thought, that then, you know, we can do that in our life. In our meditation, it's like a... Yes, I think there's lots of different ways. I just want to mention a few. Uh, And one of them I was mentioning yesterday morning, for those who were here, um, a corrective to unhelpful views or attitudes. Um... And, and kind of the replacement principle that the Buddha goes into in the uh, number 20, the Sutta, of, of um, dislodging an helpful thought with positive or helpful thought. So I was giving the example of, I can do this well enough with what I already know, just as I am. And just to just to recap very briefly, the sense of that uh, I can, dislodging the I can't and the well enough, helping to dislodge the sense of, you know, never good enough, or perfectionism, and, you know, what we already know to help kind of as an antidote to that sense of like, yeah but I can't, I've got this There's more I need to know, I need to know for this to be effective so I really know I'm really doing the right thing oh, there's that whole kind of leaning forward and kind of craving for more information so yeah and then the, as as it is, as I am just as I am with just however the mind, the body, the heart is. So corrective. Uh, also directive, which I suppose is part of that. I, you know, I don't know, you, this has to be used perhaps very gently and carefully because if you get really bossy with the mind, it doesn't like it, in my experience. So, um, you know, stop thinking. No, I'm going to think if I want to. Um, this sort of sense of gentle suggestion which is often I find that or the image I used of holding out the grass in your hand for the sort of nervous horse and then just like waiting so this encouragement for example a lot of us I think in our activation times sense of the torso the upper body getting very energized and so sometimes what what I do don't know if you have your like just, I just go arms, hands, legs, feet, arms, hands, legs, feet, you know, just for a while and patiently, and then just kind of encouraging or suggesting or inviting the attention to kind of, you know move or become wider, more holistic, more inclusive, the whole body. Just as an example, like how, how can we, can we direct ourselves in a way which is not bossy, domineering, but it's still like, come over here, you know, or that wonderful, um, I think, again, I read it in, in a Sharon Salzberg book, um, with thought, I think, you find yourself you know going down that road again about that and going to the that. and then she would she would say, "Don't go there, don't go there, just just don't go there oh I come back come back over here <laughs> so again like how how um yeah to know how to be um somewhat directive you know have some sense of almost sort of autonomy or agency, but in a way which is harmonious in a way which is wise in a way which is you know genuinely kind of rooted in care rooted in goodwill yeah and then I think that is what if 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 we're in touch with that, we can kind of guide, we can... But if it's like, oh, come on, you stupid, like, stop thinking about that. (laughs) Oh, rooted in ill will, I fear. (laughs) Um, And it just sets up more... So I I find that very interesting because some... I know talking with some people, even a very slight suggestion, the mind is going, no, I don't want to. It's very... so it can take this very gentle coaxing. Mm. Yeah, really interesting, that wise avoidance. I don't know if you, is there, is, no, Mm-mm, not now, that's over here. Uh, um, so directive. Another one is, is simply descriptive, isn't it? And that's a lot in the suttas I am breathing in, I am breathing out, you know, um, there is a body. Well, there's many, many examples where we just lose language, use words, use thought to uh, to help us to touch, help us to connect, help us to mm, come close, intimate with our experience, one area of our experience. So thought points... It's like the finger pointing at the moon, isn't it? Thought points us. So it's almost like I sometimes feel like you use the thought and then you like, maybe it's like, um, getting this image of sort of, it it takes you and then you kind of fall off the edge into experience. The experience is not the thought, it's, it's, but the, the thought can kind of take you there or point you there or give you a little ride a bit closer. So it's, yeah, a skillful, skillful pointing. And, I mean, there's encouraging. I think, again, the thoughts, how we talk to ourselves, and what kind of conversations do you have with yourself, you know? When you're on retreat, <laughs> you know, and if you're gonna, it's gonna be something's gonna be talking. So why not have have a, a pleasant conversation rooted in goodwill, renunciation, or renunciation, or compassion? You know, and I feel like that kind of that that's it's, again, especially if we have strong inner critic or a lot of doubt or something, being able to grow, kind of encouraging supportive kind of voice and words that can sort of communicate that so there's a kind of offering and listening and speaking and listening which is actually helpful Um, and that we can kind of pick it up and then put it down and one of mine is, uh, come on team (laughs) it's like all the disparate people in there and the parts and the bit that, you know, it's like, come on, everyone, let's just do this, you know, come on, let's go. And for some reason, I don't know, that can be helpful. So you might want to, you know, some encouraging phrase might be for you. Okay, well, hmm. so many, many, many other, I think this is really helpful, with skillful uses of thought, and that some of that is this sort of replacement or dislodging principle that can happen. And some, anyway, many different um, benefits from that. Okay, here we go. So, yeah, I wanted to touch on um, this teaching from uh, Honeyball Sutta, the number 18. And, it, and it's called the Honeyball Sutta. If you read it at the end, it's like the... The person listening says, I want to call this the Honeyball Sutta because it's so yummy. I mean, that's not exactly what it says, but you know. Um, and I don't know if you love this Sutta, but I, I really find it very yummy. And it's so, it's, it points to a sense of, of, you know, we're all trying to learn, aren't we? Learn about Dukkha and learn how it arises and how it ends. And there's this bit I want to read you from the honey ball, which really like, okay. See see if you can see this in your experience and see if you can understand what's happening in this way. This will help. So I'll just read this. You may well know this, but I'll just read this to you. With contact as condition. There is feeling. What one feels, one perceives. What one perceives, one thinks about. What one thinks about, that one mentally proliferates. With what one has mentally proliferated as source perceptions and notions beset a person with regard to past, future, and present. Right. I just love that so much it's, yes <laughs> that's what happens, and in terms of you know identifying. Maybe we catch the contact, or we catch the feeling with us. The, the, there's a cluster of different mental events there, and we can also trace it backwards. You know, perhaps you don't, you, you often, you only really catch it when you're in the proliferation about the proliferation, you know, and he's and like, wait a minute, wait a minute, uh, where did this come? Uh, okay, uh, uh, oh and you get the contact, and you you know, and I think that's so, so helpful with thought, like, what, what is the contact, what was the, you know, and I think it's sometimes something is really, really familiar, and sometimes I think it is quite surprising. Like, sometimes I think when I do that, I get back to something like a vague, a vague body sensation somewhere over here, you know? and that was the beginning of yeah you know, the uh, oh, well, so was all that really necessary, or and then you know maybe it's just okay, there's a contact, there's a tender place there, there's a Maybe this is a little bit unpleasant, or, you know there's some reactivity, and then we sort of you can, you can feel that you can practice learning to recognise that maybe it's an energetic or emotional, or again can be quite vague and not very clear. But it's like okay, let's be with this. Let's take care of this. There's a very vague sense of dis- sort of unease or whatever it might be, and. I can. I don't know if you can feel that. Sometimes it's like there, there is no need for any thinking here. It's really not relevant. There is just this very kind of this sense of of being with a sort of yeah place where contact can be, you know, lead to these proliferations. So we. We go and we, we take care of that. Anyway, there's many other thoughts about that. But again, if you want to look it up, it's Imadjiminakaya 18. And I think sometimes to read these teachings and then to really practice sort of seeing that in our experience, like, you know, that aspect of kind of deconstructing or sort of pulling out some of the threads or just seeing, seeing what's happening, how it's, how, how it's happening. Is already a kind of freeing. Be- all of these little exercises and teachings, I think, are. If, if, if with everything, I think with all, all of our experience, if we can shift from, you know, struggling with it, I don't want it, I'm trying to fix it, I'm trying to get it, or I'm just lost, in, you know, to curiosity what's going on? What's happening? What's actually happening right now? What is actually happening? And <laughs> you know, this kind of kind of very you know interest investigation that is that is not more thought but a genuine kind of coming closer to this mysterious that starts to me it starts to break up and become like the ephemerality and substantiality of experience starts to kind of be known to become apparent is the closer we come and the more directly and kind of intimately we're able to look and listen and start to feel like what is the raw energy of what's happening. Um, So, yeah... Lots to lots to sort of explore, and I haven't touched on several other things. But um, hmm. yeah, so maybe I keep I've been using this word empowerment this week. I think in a few different contexts, and I feel like that is. I have a sense of that that is one way I understand practice. It's a kind of an empowerment you know, for each of us, for all of us to to empower us to be present with you know, with what's happening. Yeah, with 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 awareness, with curiosity, you know. It, it's um a place from which we can we can um uh, have a sense of um mm, we're not just victims of our experience i don't know if that's no i certainly can often feel that and that is just you know, a view, and maybe there's there's other kinds of, of views, like, yeah, this sense of feeling empowered in relation to what's happening, and I guess that's what all of all, all of the wholesome qualities help us with. Not not to to be you know an empowered self, but just to be able to bring to bear the Investigation and the kindness and the uh, and the wisdom, the discernment, and to to whatever's happening. Um, so I want to share what do I want to share. Maybe one more quote and then a poem. So this this quote I love from Dilgo Kiense Rinpoche. Great Tibetan teacher. Remember that a thought is only a fleeting conjunction of myriad factors. It does not exist by itself. Recognize its empty nature. It will immediately lose its power to elicit the next thought. And the chain of delusion will be broken. Hmm. Yeah, so something very immediate about that, isn't there? Here and now we can recognise the empty, insubstantial, fleeting, strange sort of firework going off nature of thought. It's also a question that Joseph sometimes teaches, Joseph Goldstein, you know, what is thought? Like, what is it? Never mind the content what is it? And I think this is what we find. If, if, you, if you look for it, it doesn't really exist. It's, 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 it's almost nothing. And it's almost like there's something that then when we grasp at something, we grasp at it and we repeat it and we solidify it and we go over and over and over. It. And that, that is what gives it its power. And, and when we can really just be with it in that, seeing it in that way, it's just, you know, and it's no problem. Okay. And maybe there's more chance of you know being able to consciously, intentionally, uh, carefully uh, relate to and use thought for for our own benefit and for the benefit of others. Mm. So thoughts from a poet. So this is a poem by Mary Oliver called The Poet Dreams of the Mountain. Sometimes I grow weary of the days with all their fits and starts. I want to climb some old gray mountain slowly, taking the rest of my lifetime to do it, resting often sleeping under the pines or above them on unclothed rocks. I want to see how many stars are still in the sky that we have smothered for years now, a century at least. I want to look back on everything, forgiving it all and peaceful, knowing the last thing there is to know. All that urgency, not what the earth is about. How silent the trees, their poetry being of themselves only. I want to take slow steps and think appropriate thoughts. In 10,000 years, maybe a piece of the mountain will fall. May our practice be for our own long-lasting welfare and benefit and for the benefit and welfare of all beings everywhere. Thank you. So let's close our time together this evening by...